0: tonight if you have your Bible we're in Matthew chapter 10 uh, verse uh, 12 we're going to start there and we're going to move through a number of verses tonight I did want to kind of reemphasize what brother Ed was saying we're going to have next Sunday night Dan is going to be preaching and what kind of pie was it that was your favorite We want you all to make a pie or a cake or something and bring it, and uh, it'll be a fun night. We're really going to miss them. They've been a great blessing to our church and to the Lord, and uh, we want to uh, do this right, send them off uh, with our love. Uh, There's also uh, a night of fine dining coming up on October the 27th. If you haven't noticed that, uh, there's a little sign-up list out front. What we're trying to do is get people to meet at the church and then carpool to these various places that we're going so people can make new friends with uh, other folks that are coming and really get to know them and uh, spend some time with them. It's a great way to interact with some new people and then uh, come back with them. And it's a, it'll be a fun night. We're eating at a nice uh, place. Uh, And I hope you can go and be with us. Well, we're in uh, Matthew 10, beginning in verse 12. As you enter the house, uh, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, let your greeting of peace come upon it. Now, the last two Sunday nights, I've been talking to you about principles for effective ministry that Jesus was teaching His disciples, they were going out on about a two-week mission trip and Jesus was trying to teach them how to be effective in ministry and mission. And so tonight, these verses are related to that. The seventh principle, we've already covered six of them, is uh, ministry reflected in our Lord's teaching here that you want to concentrate your effort On those houses where the people are receptive uh, to what you're doing. Uh, And you would greet them and put your blessing upon them. Um, A worthy house was a house where your witness, where your work, where your teaching was all accepted. Uh, This was a worthy house. It wasn't like it was a real fancy house or anything. It was just a place where people wanted to hear, uh, where they were receptive to the message that you might be bringing. Uh, And they would accept it as from God. Uh, So this was uh, the criteria. The household that gladly received the apostles was to have the greeting of peace uh, upon it. Now, back then, the uh, great word that was used all the time was shalom. It's a Hebrew word, and many people uh, say that means peace. Well, it's really more than that. It, uh, it talks about your inner well-being. Uh, it talks about your, uh, your, your insides. It talks about your heart and your mind and your very being, that peace would be upon you. The implication is that truly receptive listeners were to be ministered to in the fullest way. In other words, if you found a receptive place to preach and teach the word, then you would go in and sit down in their home and visit with them and teach them. And if they would be responsive uh, to you, then you would stay and give them a long teaching. Uh, Help them, minister to them uh, as best you could. God does not call his servants to minister only where the gospel is immediately and eagerly received. There's a lot of fields of uh, ministry where it's very difficult. Uh, I witnessed to my mother for uh, 50 years uh, before uh, she trusted in the Lord. And sometimes it's like that in your family, and sometimes it's like that with people that you've been trying to reach with the gospel for a long, long time. Well, Many fields of service are, are resistant, but the focus of ministry in any area uh, should be that you would say you had House 1, House 2, House 3. Well, in House 3, they wanted you to come in. Go there first and minister there first. And then in House 2, if they kind of want you but not a whole lot, uh, go there second. And then in House 1, if they really didn't want you, you knew, you might just uh, give that a little emphasis, a little effort, uh, but you primarily wanted to go to the places where your ministry could be effective and you wouldn't be just uh, uh, treated in a com- contemptuous way. Um, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are promised satisfaction in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that? Uh, we, we want to help those that are looking for spiritual growth. Uh, I just finished preaching that uh, 10-week series on the Ten Commandments. Really, that's very, very important. And I hope that as people listened and as they uh, got a little more about each of those than perhaps they'd heard before, that it was very helpful. Uh, People have been saying things that, Uh, Like, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know it meant that. I didn't know what that was really about, and stuff like that. And that's what you need to have. You need to have that kind of ministry with your neighbors next door and down the street and some of your relatives. I always say that uh, if you're not absolutely sure that your kids are going to heaven, you need to talk to them. You need to witness to them. You need to encourage them. If you don't know that your grandchildren are going to heaven, you need to. Uh, kind of put some other things off and make sure of that that's a responsibility that you have, and uh, you need to work on that and do that. That's that's incumbent upon you. That's an important thing that you need to be about. As a faithful minister, you should give yourself fully and freely uh, to feeding of God's word to those that will receive it. God's mandate is that the gospel should be preached. First, uh, to those where it is wanted the most. Well, okay, let's look at uh, the second part of verse 13 and 14 and 15. But if it is not worthy, let your greeting of peace return to you. Uh, In other words, if they spit at you or something, um, you know, you you move on. Uh, Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words... As you go out of that house or out of that city, shake the dust off of your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now that is very, very, very strong uh, words. Uh, This last principle is uh, kind of the reverse side of of the first one. Uh, the, the principle here is if they don't want you, uh, you don't have to knock the door down. Uh, you don't have to grab them by the throat and throw them on the ground and say, listen, you know, this, I want to teach you this. Uh, I was in a revival service when I was in college. I went around to hear all the great preachers, and this guy was a great preacher. But uh, there was a man in the church that during the sermon, the preacher was preaching a real good sermon, and this man slipped out of one of the front seats, and he went back and grabbed a man that was sitting on the aisle and started, you know, kind of giving him that. You know, like, you need this. You know, you need to trust in Christ. You need to walk down the aisle. I mean, he really, you know, was giving it to him. And uh, I, I I don't think that's appropriate and uh i I hope you don't do that. Uh, if you start doing that on a Sunday morning, I'm going to send some of these people after you <laughs> because we don't we don't want to do it that way. This right here uh, talks about that if um, if they don't want you, if they act against you, uh, you need to uh, move on now. I know some of you after the service are going to say, well, I'm sure glad I didn't move on because of my cousin or my friend or whatever. So it calls for some, uh, you know, intuitive ability that you have to figure out where you are with that person and and maybe the time of their life uh, that they're in. You know, this might sound funny to you, but really the best time that some people are open to the gospel is when there's been a tragedy in their life. When someone has died and you might then be able to speak to the children or the wife or the husband or when somebody gets a divorce, you know, a lot of people, when they get a divorce, they're just at wit's end. They don't know what to do and where to turn and all of that. And it's a great time to, uh, you know, say, well, You know, in my life, when I've had a hard time, I've turned to Christ. And Christ has really helped me. And I've made a new set of friends that were on a higher plane than my old set of friends. And things have been different and things have been better. You know, that kind of a a ministry. Sometimes people have a horrendous uh, business experience. They lose their business. They uh, are kicked out of their home or something. They have tremendous financial reversal. That's, a, that's really a good time to share the gospel with somebody and make it very, very clear that the Lord loves them and the Lord wants them to be ever uh, close to him. So those are uh, kind of some things. The, the greatest blessing of God is worthless for the person that will just not hear it, won't accept it in any way. God's gospel is offered to the whole world. You know, uh, for whosoever will may come, the gospel is given to everybody. It's not just to a select few, but uh, everybody doesn't want it. You know, most of the time when you're witnessing to a Muslim person, they don't want it. In fact, they want to kill you. Uh, you know, you you have to understand some of those dynamics. Um, the, the gospel has the power to save all the world, but all the world is not responsive. And this is what this principle is talking about. Uh, the same principle applies to false teachers that come to your house. Have you ever had folks knock on your door and they had a foreign gospel? And uh, you know the, the appropriate response to that. Uh, the scripture says, is uh, uh, not to receive them into your house. Uh, that's what the Bible says. Second um, John 2, uh, 10 and 11. Um, you know, you want to uh, try as best you can to keep your family, your friends, from hearing a false doctrine, the wrong theology. You don't want them to get that. Now, when a house or a city was contemptuous for the apostles and the words that they taught, Jesus said, as you leave that place, shake the dust off your feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever been involved in one of those campaigns where you go house to house or you go to people on the beach. You know, I, one time when I was a student uh, leader at Southern Methodist University, uh, I took a group down to uh, the coast in Florida, and we spread out, and we went like a line uh, through the beach. And we witnessed every single person on the beach. And some people were, you know, just terribly rude and uh, cussed us, and, you know, just it was just terrible. And uh, we tried to have the right attitude and keep doing it and move ahead to the next person. Jesus goes a little farther than that. It says, uh, uh, shake the dust off your feet. You know, move on. Um, When Jews uh, went into a Gentile area, when they came back to Israel, they would stop at the border. This, This is literal. They would shake the dust off their feet because they didn't want pagan soil. In their land. That's what they did. And uh, that's what's uh, talked about here. Uh, If the apostles uh, go to a home where they're not going to be received. And they're treated rudely. Then you need to shake the dust off your feet and move on. Uh, You're to treat them like the Jews used to treat uh, the Gentiles. Uh, That's what he's saying. It's not that we are to turn away from those that are slow to understand. You know, some people, you have to take a lot of time with them. It's not that we're supposed to uh, berate someone that takes a little more work than others. That's not it. Uh, What's being presented here is that the Lord has been marvelously patient, and long-suffering with us. And we ought to have that kind of responsibility to deal with other people. But if they are cussing us out at the door and being rude and all of that, then we need to move on. You know, it's, you, don't, you don't have to be a bulldog and say, well, you want to come out here and fight? You know, you don't, you don't need to do that. You want to just say, Uh, You know, I I hope the best for you, and I hope there comes a time in your life when you can see Christ as your Savior. He's been my Savior, and he's been a blessing to me. You know, then just, and then move on. Well, Jesus was not speaking of those that uh, uh, were just a little bit rude. He was talking about those that were very rude, and they continued to resist and oppose the gospel in any way. Now, when a person's mind is set firmly against God, uh, you're, you're going to have a hard time turning them around. Uh, but you'll just have to use your own uh, uh, discerning powers as to how best to proceed. Now, this last part is, is very, very powerful language. Jesus uh, warns um, now listen to this Jesus told the disciples this truly I say to you it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city that he's talking about that city that is rude to you you're going to try and minister and help them and they're very very rude to you now. Let me remind you of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged them in a way that was almost unbelievable. He rained down fire and brimstone on that place. And it was utterly destroyed. It was so destroyed that archaeologists have never been able to find it. I mean, it was destroyed, totally destroyed. There weren't any markings. There weren't any this. There wasn't any pottery. There wasn't any silverware. There wasn't anything. I mean, it was destroyed. It has never, ever been found. It's gone. Now, he's saying here, uh, men who and women who are contemptuous of the gracious, saving gospel of Christ face an even worse fate than Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I don't, I can't understand what's worse than that. You know, when you're obliterated off the face of the earth, <laughs> there is absolutely nothing less. I don't know what could be worse than that, but, but that's what the uh, scripture says. All right, let's uh, look at verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents, and innocent as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the courts. And scourge you in their t- synagogues. And you shall even be brought up before the governors and the kings for my sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus is saying, you know, by by going that far, by doing that much. You'll have a witness to the uh, provincial leaders and the uh, Jewish uh, leaders and all of those uh, people, the Gentiles, uh, a part of their training was they were going to be sent out again, of course, after Jesus' uh, death and burial and resurrection, and uh, they needed to know some of the obstacles that they were going to face, some things that they were going to have to fight with. Some of the instruction applied only Uh, to this brief mission that they were going out on, and some of it uh, applied uh, to the whole rest of their life. Now, these instructions apply to each one of us for the rest of our lives, that we would go out, that we would do what he's telling the disciples, the apostles here to do, that we would do that, that we would be willing to go to any length uh, to share the gospel, Behold, verse 16 says, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Now, the word behold is like, hey, listen up, listen up, wake up. Everybody awake, wake up, listen. That's what behold means. And he wanted to get everybody's attention because this, what he was saying, was very important. Uh, He wanted the 12 to pay uh, special attention to what he was about to say. He had delegated miraculous powers to the 12. He, They could raise the dead. They could talk to somebody over there against the wall and heal them of leprosy. They could heal the blind. They could make the lame walk. They could do anything. They had unbelievable power. So Jesus said, now listen up. You got all this power. Uh, they, they're thinking that they're going to be invincible. They're thinking, well, gosh, I've got power. I can do anything. i got the power that Jesus had. I can do anything. Well, no, you can't. Um, they are unbelieving sheep in the world, wherever you go. Uh, I don't know if you went out to eat lunch today, but wherever you go, there are unbelievers that uh, are just a few feet away from you. And, you know, we have... Responsibilities for folks with whom we interface on a regular basis. The Lord here made it clear that the world's sheep are really not defenseless. He's saying uh, even though you've got these apostolic powers that are divinely endowed and marvelous as they are, those powers are not going to save you from suffering at the hands of men. They're going to give you a real hard time. And, of course, as you know, they did. You know, the, the apostles were crucified and were, had their heads cut off and had this and had that uh, happen to them. Um, they and the rest of his followers, until he returns again, would be the real sheep. Uh, it's kind of paradoxical. Jesus pointed out the tension between your vulnerability and your invincibility. He said, You've got both. You're very vulnerable, but over here, you're very, very strong in what you can do, uh, the miracles that you can perform. Between our weakness in ourselves and our strength in Him, we always got to keep that straight. Where's our strength come from? It comes from Him, not from us. Uh, between the power of hateful persecution. And the power of loving submission. You remember Jesus in all those last days, what he went through? Loving submission. He could have snapped his fingers and they all dropped dead. He didn't do that. He had loving submission. Between the worldly flower power of the flesh and the supernatural power of the spirit. There's a, there's a real paradoxical thing going on here. Sheep are... Have any of you ever been uh have any of you ever worked with sheep? We got two here, we got my wife back there. Uh anybody else? Uh I've I've read a lot about sheep. Because you know, you when you preach the 23rd Psalm, you 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 have to study sheep if you're going to do a good job on that. Um they're totally dependent, they're totally help, helpless of all the domesticated animals they're they're on the lowest level they are panicked by almost anything if a leaf falls they'll jump and run if a wolf comes they'll look at the wolf and just kind of look at it for a while and think well i guess that's a wolf i better go and so they amble off um They're they're panicked by things that aren't dangerous at all, and sometimes they're not panicked by things that are. When the real danger comes, they have no natural defense, none. They try and run away, but they're terrible runners. They can't hardly run. They're they're not any good at running at all. Um, Sheep are so indiscriminate in their choice of vegetation to eat Uh, You have to watch them very carefully, or they will eat poisonous weeds and then drop dead. You have to watch them. They're highly vulnerable to weather extremes. They'll freeze. They'll drop dead. They get all kinds of infections, all kinds of diseases. They must regularly be individually checked for dangerous symptoms, for cuts, for abrasions, for insects, for parasites that get on them and kill them. Uh, But the sheep's greatest enemy is the wolf. You know, down through the years, of course, in Palestine, the main thing that you watched out for were the wolves. The wolves would come in. People in Palestine understood the nature of sheep and the danger of wolves. They knew how difficult the task of the shepherd was to simply keep the sheep alive, much less to keep them healthy and and contented. The normal danger for sheep is the wolves that would come in among them. You know, a wolf could kill a whole bunch of them in just just a few minutes. But Jesus said to the twelve, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now get that picture in your mind. Here, if you, over here, if you have one wolf in the middle of the sheep, it's, it's a great likelihood all sheep are going to be dead. Over here, you're going out, and you're surrounded by wolves, and you're a little sheep. See, that's not a good picture. Uh, he called them to go into the wolves' own territory. He said, go right out there where the wolves are. Go right out there in the middle of them. Jesus is the perfect good shepherd who loves his sheep with a divine love, who intimately knows them, and they know him, who will lay down his life for them, which he did. Which he did. He was the great shepherd. But in the figure of the sheep and the wolves, Jesus gave a graphic illustration of the rejection and the persecution by a God-hating world that was going to come upon them. They're going to face that. The 12 went out to do uh, this job, to do this mission work. And he wanted them to know the cost of discipleship. One of the best books I've ever read in my whole life is The Cost of Discipleship. You ought to get that book and read it. It's a classic. It's a great book. I, I guess we have it in our library. Sandy in here. Do we have that book, Cost of Discipleship? We ought to get that book if we don't have it. It's one of the classics. The world will continue to make raids on the church. Now, you know that. Just as wolves are going to raid the flocks of sheep. Paul said, I know after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in among you and hurt the sheep, not spare the flock. Jesus had already warned his followers of the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, They're wolves, but they come in sheep's clothing. Jesus, the good shepherd, sends his disciples into the hostile world of ungodly souls to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's where they can serve him best and that's where they can be the most effective in leading people to the Savior. Now let me say something that I think is the is the most difficult issue that we have in today's world. Many of us just spend all of our time with good Christians. That's not what God has called us to do. God wants us to interface with some lost people. He wants us to meet some lost people and to witness to them and to work with them and to try and help them, try and bring them toward Jesus. Now, if, if you get up in the morning, you go down and eat breakfast with a bunch of Christians. And then you go on a walk with a bunch of Christians. Then you eat lunch with a bunch of Christians. Then you take naps at the same time a bunch of Christians. Then you eat supper with a bunch of Christians. And then you watch TV with one or two Christians. You see, you haven't done much. You know? You haven't done much. We need to interface with some folks that are, that, uh, are lost. I mean, that's the only way we're going to. We're going to reach the world. Well, the good shepherd sends his disciples out there right in the middle of all of it. There's a popular appeal. You know, some of the guys that are preachers on TV, they say, you know, God really wants all of you to be rich. And God really wants all of you to be very healthy. And some people buy that and they think that they're moving toward ease and comfort and riches and advancement and ambition. And the leaders use that kind of enticement to motivate uh, unbelievers to trust in Christ. They, that's what they preach. You know, if you come and follow what I'm saying, then, then you can have all these great, wonderful things in your life. Well, the, the problem with that is that uh, Jesus promised hardship, suffering, and death. That's what he promised. So you don't hear that much on TV. <laughs> you know, I, I, I bet you could listen for a long time. You never hear that on TV. Because that really hurts the offering. You know, if you preach a lot of that. Well, ministry can be very, very difficult. I mean, very difficult. Uh, you can lose your friends. You can lose your family. You can lose your own way. You know, you can really be hurt. Uh, and, and what I always say, I speak at a lot of pastors' conferences through the years, and what I always say is, hey, guys, we're all on the same team. We need to be helping each other out. We need to be lifting each other up. And a former pastor, every time a new preacher came to town, I took him to lunch. And, uh, I, you know, there were about 40 churches in that town, and I, I was taking people out to eat lunch all the time. And not one of them ever took me out to lunch. Not one of them. And I thought, well, I guess I'm making a bad impression here. Uh, But, you know, we're supposed to stick together. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to lift each other up. I took the new Methodist preacher out. He seemed like a nice fellow. He hadn't called me back, but uh, I took him out. Uh, You know, we want to lift up uh, where we can. We're in this together. We're all serving the same Lord. We want to work together. That's very, very important. We need to help each other. We don't want to be killed by friendly fire. Uh, I think all of you know what friendly fire is. Spencer, tell them what friendly fire is. (laughs) <laughs> he says that's when your friend shoots you <laughs> that's a that's better than I had <laughs> that is what it is. that's friendly fire for sure well tonight uh we want to invite you if you're here with us uh we, every, you know, every once in a while on Sunday night, somebody will come and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every once in a while, somebody comes and joins the church on Sunday night. I joined the church on a Sunday night. I'm glad they gave an invitation that night. We're going to have a short invitation. We want to invite you to make a decision for Christ. And we want you to, to follow him, you know, to, to maybe uh, change your schedule for tomorrow where you can be around some folks that aren't saved. And you can have a ministry with them. Well, tonight, I'm going to stand down in front. We're going to sing a song. If you'd like to make a decision for Christ, just slip out, slip forward. Let's stand as we sing.